Hello, I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Gavin P. Brown, Executive Director of the Michigan Aerospace Manufacturer Association. On this episode, we'll discuss the Michigan Launch Initiative and the impact of the growing aerospace industry in the state of Michigan. We hope you enjoy this episode. Gavin, welcome to the podcast. Grayson, appreciate the time and looking forward to interacting with you and listening, learning, and uh, working with all our fine fans out there in the aerospace industry. We're looking to learn from you on today's podcast because Michigan's building the future. have a very rich aerospace industry, have a very rich automotive industry, but we're, today we're going to focus on the aerospace industry. To kick things off, Gavin, what is the Michigan Aerospace Manufacturer Association and why was it founded in 2007? Before I started the Michigan Aerospace Manufacturers Association, I was doing supply integration for other industries, one being the chemical distribution. What I found in the aerospace industry in Michigan is that the focus was primarily on automotive suppliers and the supply chain. And Michigan had a very rich aerospace capability industry from engineering, manufacturing, but it wasn't a collaborative. So quite frankly, where we found a large contribution to the aerospace industry, the thought of putting together a supply chain integration so that not only could they grow that through that, but they could also then start looking at how do you use a supply chain and integrate that for not only raw material, but gaining more transactions in business. Do you find that the aerospace industry in Michigan is a collaborative industry where they want to learn from each other, help each other succeed? I think that's a growing evolution. Most businesses were independent. So if they were in uh, either engineering, machine components, if they were doing tooling, that was specific. I think what you're seeing now is the customer asks for more of a integrated product that the collaboration effort uh, from engineering to the delivery of a component now involves collaboration. There's there's several aerospace associations around the United States and that, for a matter of fact, around the world. Your association's based in Michigan. What strategic advantages does it give you being based in Michigan? There's a few advantages that I saw right off the bat. So first of all, the rich environment from the automotive world gave us a unique perspective on mass production. And what I did see in the aerospace industry is traditionally they saw themselves as low volume, high mix. And the separation with the automotive was automotive was high volume, low mix. But I think what they eventually, as well as today, are finding that the technologies in advanced manufacturing, both are dependent on it. And being both dependent on it, how do they learn from that? So Michigan, with this rich, I call it, in their DNA of auto mass production, is now helping the aerospace and space industry understand as it goes from one-offs to mass production, how do you get there, not only in a timely manner, but in a, how do you put that supply chain together 
so that you can achieve the goals, such as producing uh, space vehicles every 72 hours in the near future. In order to do that, you have to have a supply chain, but you also have to have, I'll call it a rich understanding or a rich history in the aerospace industry. I'd like for the listeners to highlight some really important facts about Michigan. Willow Run produced one airplane an hour, and between 1926 and 1932, Ford, the Ford Motor Company, produced more than 200 tri-motor airplanes, commonly known as the Tin Goose. Airplane was used by TWA, otherwise known as Transworld Airlines, to inaugurate the first coast-to-coast passenger service in 1930. 1930. That happened in Michigan. Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. It wasn't Howard Hughes in California. It happened in Michigan. I'd love to know, Gavin, what other aviation first happened in Michigan? Well, Michigan's the birthplace of William Boeing, Kelly Johnson, others, Charles Lindbergh. What people, I think, because of the auto industry overshadowing the accomplishments in aerospace and space, didn't realize the impact of space because, quite frankly, when you talk about automotive, everybody sees it. You drive in a car. Not very many people get to go up into space. So I think what you found there was a, and I still find this, understanding space and everything it means, the companies that are involved and the rich contribution that we made in manufacturing as well as engineering. A lot of people don't know in the early space days, uh, right on uh, just north of Van Dyke and 15 Mile, we were producing parts for the spaceships to go up in the early days. So the auto industry did make ventures into that. But again, I think it was that culture of the low volume, high mix, as opposed to what they were used to. Just didn't, it was uh, sort of like putting on a size 12 shoe when you wear an eight. (laughs) (laughs) It's still a shoe, but it didn't fit exactly what you thought. Or for that matter of fact, you try and put on a, twice, a size 22 Shaquille O'Neal, he'll fall over trying to, to to walk in that. Is manufacturing the secret sauce that Michigan has that benefits the aerospace industry? I'd like to say it's advanced manufacturing moving into technology manufacturing. So what we're finding today is you hear the major automotive companies no longer claiming that they're automotive companies, they're technology companies. So while our early history was strictly manufacturing and mass production, I think what you're now finding is that inclusion of advanced technology, and it's going to migrate to quantum computing. So when you get a different platform that can provide a lot more, that advanced manufacturing is going to take another evolutionary step for both aerospace and automotive and that's the crossovers that you're starting to see is that technology can be shared and learned from each other another great one is you hear about the autonomous ground vehicles everyone's talking about when are we going to get those self-driving cars well in aerospace it's called an automatic pilot that's been around for many many decades so what you're finding is those technologies are slowly starting to complement one another's progress and growth as the auto companies, and you said, become technology companies, they've been very public about this. Do they, does the complementary overlaps just, just accelerate as the automotive industry develops more and more technology? I believe it does. I, I think 
traditionally, they like to stand alone. Ground vehicles were ground vehicles. Aerospace and space was up uh, in the air. And each kept to their own bowling lane. Now I think what they're saying is, how do we listen and learn from one another? And that is a evolution because the technologies they can see are needed on both sides. And so they can complement each other as opposed to looking solely at what you're needed for either cars or planes or space vehicles. I want to put some numbers to this. We, we all see the billions of dollars that the, the automotive industry in Michigan generates, but there's 600 aerospace companies located in Michigan. And co- collectively combined, these companies generate more than a billion dollars of annual revenue. I repeat, a billion dollars in annual revenue. That's a very big positive start for this industry. With a growing industry, how is the state legislative body reacting to this? Are they, they're cheering it on, say, okay, Gavin, come on, make it two billion, make it three billion, cheer it on, build it up. You know, we were uh, fortunate in that we work with the legislators to do studies through the Michigan Launch Initiative, which they supported. What those studies show, and those numbers really are even being revised as we speak upwards, but the legislators are always looking at what will technology play in the role of Michigan's growth, both in what I call gold-collar jobs, as well as technical. And other ancillary jobs that complement those industries of technology. So they're very interested in the economic impact. Uh, You referred to that $1 billion. When you see that they're predicting that the aerospace and space industry is literally going to be in the trillions of dollars of annual uh, spend by 2040, how do we get more of that slice of pie by building upon the technology as well as the advanced manufacturing that can enable both industries to grow. And I think the legislators are very keenly aware that if Michigan doesn't get those jobs, they go somewhere and they will go to other states if we don't work together and collaboratively to start uh, doing a very robust attraction package for not only the aerospace companies, but for the talent and so I'd like to say when you look at the universities, the great universities we have here, U of M, Michigan State, Wayne State, Michigan Tech, and all the others, we are actually training and teaching folks to be aerospace engineers, but they have to go to other states. The legislators are very concerned. How do we import jobs here as opposed to training folks and exporting? that talent outside the state. So the legislators, I think you're going to see here in the next couple of years, focus on how do we evolve those technologies to build aerospace? And they want that to happen. So we're working very closely with them on how to attract both talent and aerospace companies to locate here in Michigan. It comes down to job creation. What you described is going to create new high-paying job is going to create manufacturing jobs. It's going to create, you said, gold-collar jobs. Could you shed some light on the, the job creation? You have the great university system in Michigan, and you want to keep them in the state to either go into aerospace or automotive to stay in the state. What's being done to create those jobs? Are you working with your members to do apprenticeships, internships to 
potentially expose a, a second year or third year college student to the opportunities in the Michigan aerospace industry? We are. So I'd like to take it even to those students in eighth grade and above. So just the last weekend, we did STEM training where we brought in an astronaut. We brought in a team from higher orbits to do STEM training where the kids actually over two days got to develop an experiment. And we have a contest that MAMA sponsors for these students to compete to put an actual experiment into space next year. So start that enthusiasm at a young age, create that ground base of capabilities and talent so that when companies are looking for that talent, they see it here and want to locate here. So I think what you have to do is you have to think first, how do we provide that opportunity for those that, not when they're in college, but before then, create a atmosphere of economic growth around what that talent can produce, and then aggressively pursue that so that we complement the space efforts. You're not going to displace Cape Canaveral or Vandenberg or Texas as they grow Boca Chica and the other surrounding area. But what we can do is play a large part in the growth of that technology that helps lift those vehicles off into space and into the commercial airspace here as well as abroad. You clearly have the talent pool. You have the enthusiasm. The, ne the next aspect is the infrastructure. When you're meeting with an aerospace company that says, hey, Gavin, we're interested in possibly relocating to Michigan or opening operations in Michigan, what do you say when they talk about the, the infrastructure? Do you lay out the vision for the infrastructure? How would you describe it to a prospective aerospace company looking to possibly relocate to Michigan? Well, you look at some of those companies that have relocated. Like the, there's Plane Wave in Adrian. Uh, there's uh, Atlas Satellite in Traverse City. Orbion up in uh, northern Michigan, in the UP. What these companies are finding is that talent they're looking for but they're also finding a environment that uh, the attraction of talent that wants to enjoy a four season lifestyle, that wants to raise families, can do so, so that they don't have to move to the coastlines. So these companies are looking at low cost assets so that not only the talent, when I say low cost for land, relative to California or Florida, New York, or Texas, but they're also looking at the overall picture. What's the overall cost, the 360 degree outlook of that environment? Michigan, when I think you take all those factors in, is very attractive. Is quality of life for the employees that are potentially relocating one of the big defining factors of why a company want to relocate there? Yeah, and I'll give you kind of my synopsis of, you know, I'm 63. And so it was very common for people to move wherever the job opportunity existed. I think what we see with the generations now is they're a little more focused, which I like, on how they uh, live and where they live and the quality of life for them and their families that they're raising. And I think when you look at Michigan, it really is a four season, enjoyable for both outdoor and indoor living but not the traffic and the congestion of a coastlines. And I think that quality of life is something that, in my opinion, the younger generations are much more in tune to 
and I compliment them, but they are moving. In fact, if you look at Traverse City, uh, one of the highest zip codes for high tech people in the last two years moving in. So these are the attractions, and we want to continually espouse to the U.S. and the whole world, come to Michigan. What does the, the Michigan Launch Initiative play in this effort? Is that a critical tool in your toolbox that helps bring these companies in so when they're there, they're able to scale their businesses and grow their businesses in Michigan? The Michigan Launch Initiative was initially designed to do studies on the viability of spaceports, space launches, and increasing Michigan's economic development in space. What those studies showed is that, yes, for both the horizontal and vertical uh, marketplace, as well as uh, space analytics and space command, that Michigan does have viability and sustainability for profitability for companies that participate. I would say one of the things that Michigan Launch Initiative will do is deliver on all of those. I think one of the aspects I've learned with the Michigan Launch Initiative, like any, is it takes years to build. And so we're in the process of going through that building stage, but one of the things the studies did show us is that the space business itself really takes off, launches itself very aggressively in numbers in 2025 so that the growth of the Michigan Launch Initiative is tied to that growth curve. And so you're going to see much more of the studies come into the viability of private and commercial companies coming forward, but it is developed around delivering from 2025 on. And so I think what you're going to find around the U.S. is uh, the growth of space is going to be looking for those capabilities. And so Michigan and the Michigan Launch Initiative has been focused on 2025 and beyond and on track to deliver in that time frame. You could say, I'll use a funny pun, the industry is ready for takeoff. The 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 you're fueled up, it's getting ready to go. And you, you mentioned the, the trillion dollars in annual revenue by 2040, the source of that is Citibank. The industry is growing. It's, it's not valuation, I want to repeat. It's annual revenue, repeat, $1 trillion in annual revenue by 2040, not valuation. That's real money. That's sustaining a very large industry. How are you preparing your members to benefit from this growing industry? You said takeoff starts in 2025, and then it seems by, according to Citibank, by 2040, it really takes off. Now you're in deep space. You are, and that doesn't include the growth in hypersonics, which is another plus If as we evolve those technologies. I would say the best preparation for companies is to understand aerospace is what I call the long dollar. It's not where it's going to do a ROI in the next year or two alone. And if you're thinking short term, it probably isn't an industry for your business. But if you're looking, I like to call it an annuity business. If you're looking for that uh, payback year in and year out over and over again, look at the companies that have participated. So it's helping not only the companies understand that, but the financial markets that support with private investment, that the investment and the ROI is there, but it is uh, a longer payoff, but it's also a very healthy payback. But I think what we have to do is help people understand that it's in different cycles in the automotive industry. 
And so preparing those companies to continually build uh, on a continuum of investment as well as contribution, that there is a growing industry that they can participate for and with for decades to come. It's a growing industry with growing valuations. We can look in the public, sorry, private market to what SpaceX is currently valued at. The company, it, it's phenomenal just from a valuation perspective, the growth, and from a technical perspective to launch the astronauts the way it's doing from American soil. It's great for the United States that the investments are happening in aerospace. You mentioned uh, hy hypersonic there. It's, you're currently convening organizations to develop a hypersonic suborbital test range. Could you talk about that initiative, please? During uh, World War II, a lot of the airspace in and around Michigan and over the Great Lakes was, it's called a MOA. And these MOAs were designed specifically for restricted airspace so that uh, both the military and testing could take place. This is the largest airspace really east of the Mississippi and outside of Nellis Air Force Base and the surrounding area, Nevada, is the largest area for this. If you today want to test your hypersonic equipment systems, and do research and development, you have to take it to the coastlines, pretty much. So off the coast of Florida, California. But if you're, let's say, a company in Dayton, Ohio, this makes economic sense to be able to come just north it also makes sense to, for the security of the testing and research and development to do it within the homeland of mid-America. Uh, you may be aware of this, but after uh, 25 miles, the international line out on the oceans, you can basically park your intelligence and watch everything. Whereas you can do it here in the mid-America, you don't have that. Satellites will give them some information, but my point being, is that when you think of how does hypersonic testing and development grow, and, and especially with the growing demand going from Mach 3 to Mach 5 to Mach 10, this is what I like to share with folks. That hypersonic development will be dependent on technology. So to do the telemetry from going from Mach 3 to Mach 10, the computing speed is going to have to uh, be elevated to a point that can contribute as to, if you think about it in hypersonics, instead of looking at where the system is in the air <laughs> or where it has been. So this is part of the challenges we face with that growth, but we can go forward and that's why we're doing that and proposing that, that mid-America can contribute to the hypersonic growth of America's future and security. It's also more secure. You mentioned Mach, a great movie. The right stuff pops into my mind. If you want to understand, you only get to Mach 1 in that movie, but you get a clear understanding of what Mach is from the right stuff. As you expand the aerospace industry in Michigan with your members of the organization, what role will a defense strategy play in that? Will you try and expand it into DOD? You mentioned the security. You're not 25 miles off the shore. You're in a more secure environment. Will you look to do more defense applications? We're gonna focus primarily on low Earth orbit, or LEO. So the satellites and communication systems are going to play a large part. And so what we've done with our conference, we have every year, and we've had it for five years, is we focus on space. So 
This year, last uh, conference, we had Lieutenant General Nina Armango, who's the Director of Staff Headquarters for U.S. Space Force. Uh, I'm uh, meeting with uh, General Purdy down at the uh, Cape Canaveral to offer our capabilities. The point being is that if we're focused on an area where we can make impact, where we don't have to displace incumbent sources, Michigan can play a role in that. And that's what we're focused on. I'll highlight it. You have security and you have manufacturing capabilities. And, the, and those two things are, are really good for our, our national defense and for all the work that the men and women at the Department of Defense do. Are there low Earth satellites currently being launched in Michigan? Are there plans for that? It, it seems like it might be a more secure location to potentially launch. There is not presently uh, a spaceport in the state of Michigan. In fact, if you look at the spaceports, a spaceport in Michigan would be the northernmost uh, that would exist. Vandenberg is probably the most northern latitude one. If you look at the demand for polar orbits, that's what we'll focus on. If you look at Cape Canaveral and Vandenberg and others, Vandenberg does do some polar, but they're mainly focused now on the equatorial satellites. We are going to be focused on the polar and the systems that need to be deployed in the polar orbit. I'm an, I'm an economist at heart, not by training. That's very, very smart because if you look at all the geopolitical tensions happening in the Arctic today, there's a growth opportunity for Michigan companies to, to serve the Arctic. There is. And I think what you have to understand is that's going to be growing, not diminishing. Yes. And if, if you look at the proximity of the growth of that area to the United States, again, Michigan is strategically positioned uh, to be one of those leaders in not only what's going on in the Arctic, but to uh, maintain a strategic position to help us. And I think uh, that will be a ongoing issue as we go forward. Not, not one that's going to go away. I think it's going to be a, a growing one. I fully agree with you. It'll be a growing one. I'll have a positive economic benefit on the state of Michigan when you get your launch site up. Looking to the future, how do you view the aerospace industry growing in Michigan? Do you, do you see new members coming in, new organizations, new plants? How do you, do you see the industry growing in the state? I'm a firm believer in value. You have to always provide value. So anyone who thinks you build it and they will come and not answer the question of value, <laughs> you've got the wrong premise. So we always have to think, what is the value and what uh, in the marketplace does that value have? Michigan has the ability to mass produce and the knowledge to do that. As space and the aerospace industry grow, it demands more components, but also how do you produce those at a value. So I think we've been doing that for many years. Companies that have to deliver on value in many different aspects uh, are going to be coming to Michigan because it does have the talent. It does have the people. It does have the environment for value to help build both commercial and defense aerospace and space. Michigan has the value proposition. Outside of that, what is the future of aerospace in Michigan in addition to the value proposition? I think as we advance uh, the manufacturing processes, as quantum computing comes into play with the autonomous 
automotive world looking at that platform. Again, that plays very well because they complement one another. So for instance, if you had a quantum scalable platform and system today, which there isn't one, it would play a role both in the aerospace, hypersonic, and space industry, but it also would complement industries like the automotive. And so when we look at mobility, when you look at education, medicine, emergency services, that's all dependent on these technologies moving forward. Michigan, with its talent, I firmly believe, is going to lead in the technology evolution coming forward. We don't have to look at Silicon Valley or the East Coast for that. We should be developing that rapidly so that the contribution to America's future is soundly in what happens in Michigan. Michigan has a rich heritage to build upon, both in the aerospace industry and the automotive industry. You have a very rich talent pool. And most importantly, Michiganders have a can-do attitude. I know a lot of Michiganders very well, and they have a can-do attitude. And Gavin, as we look to wrap up this super insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? As the world is more inclusive of aerospace, Michigan can and will play a central role. Michigan's posed to take a central lead on the stage. We have all the factors ready. Sometimes we don't have to ask why. We have to say, how do we move that forward aggressively and attain and attract others here to the state? And again, I firmly believe we have to think a little differently. How do we become an importer of talent rather than an exporter of talent? And when you start thinking that way, how do you convene people to stay here with value, grow the industry to make people's lives better? Because quite frankly, again, what we got around to is how do you improve people's lives? And if we can play a central role in improving people's standard of living, that's shared by all, Michigan then attracts not only the talent, but the business to do so, creates jobs and improves the standard for all. And that's what I'm a firm believer in. If we don't think that way, if we think it's just numbers, if you think it just magically happens, it's not going to. So I would say the space, aerospace world is going to be growing at such a, uh, not incremental rate, but an exponential rate. If we don't capture those jobs, if we don't look at ourselves as leaders, other states will then take that and move forward at our expense. Michigan's stepping up to the plate. They're nurturing and building a prosperous aerospace industry because Michigan can and will play a central role in the future of aerospace. Today is tomorrow, tomorrow's today, and the future is Michigan Aerospace. Gavin, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Grayson, thank you for your time. And for all the people that we serve, I think the future in the next two years, it's going to set the course for decades. So it's not something where you have time to vacillate on what we do. We either get on it in the next two years or we watch others move forward. And I think we should always be in the leading position with our government, with our leaders, and do that not only here, but regionally, and then have that shared by all of the United States. Well said, sir. We'll close out this way. Always be a leader. Gavin, thank you so much. Thank you, kind sir. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. 
Be sure to join us next week as we speak with leaders from Charger Help and SAE Sustainable Mobility Solutions about their new partnership aimed at constructing a safe and sustainable EV infrastructure. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.